We're going to open to Luke chapter 1, but before you do that, um, I would just ask if you would pray with me before we open the word. Father God, we are so privileged to be here this morning. We're so um, excited to come together as a family. And Lord, I just pray that you would speak to us through your word this morning. I pray that they would be your words that speak to our hearts where we are this morning. And as we enter this Christmas season, Lord, would you remind us to praise you for what you've done? And would you help us to remember the significance of your son entering the world? We thank you. We love you. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. Okay, now you can turn to Luke chapter 1. I realize I I false started everybody on that. We're going to be in Luke chapter 1, and we're going to look at Zachariah's prayer or kind of a hymn of praise like we did last week with Mary with the Magnificat, the prayer of Mary after she finds out that she's carrying the Savior. But the truth is that um, in order to understand this, we really need to look at the story that surrounds it. Do you recall last week, Ken kind of helped us understand that there's a, there is a historical context to these stories, but there's also a personal context to these stories and these responses to the Savior that's important for us to understand. This is one thing to understand that God asks Mary to have a baby, and it's one thing to understand that God asks Mary to have a baby who's going to be the Son of God and the Savior of the world. That's pretty intense. But then when you think of the fact that Mary is 14, 15, maybe 16 years old, engaged in a culture where she and her family will be criticized and shamed and maybe lose a number of friendships or relationships because of it, and still her response is to praise God and say, I am a willing servant to be used by you, then the significance of her response to the Savior entering the world takes on new meaning. And so this morning, we want to look at the context of the story of Zacharias so we understand his story, so we understand what he brings to this so that we can better understand his response and the significance of it. And we may take as much time looking at the the story that surrounds this hymn of praise as we will in the hymn itself, but I think it's important for us to understand where he's coming from and where his heart is. So Luke chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 5. And we're just going to start to unpack the story of Zechariah. So verse 5, it says, In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years." These are two people, faithful to the Lord, devoted to the Lord. They're advanced in years, which is Bible for old, okay? We're going to explore that later. We don't know exactly how old they are, but they're pretty old because a lot of, it's mentioned a number of times. And if you need help remembering them, I just think old faithful. When I think of Zechariah and Elizabeth, that's what I think. They are old and they are faithful. And those seem to be characteristics that are mentioned numerous times about them. Devoted to the Lord, advanced in years, old and faithful. So here's a couple who who know him, who love the Lord, they obey him, they serve him. Zechariah is a priest. Elizabeth is, is a descendant of Aaron, the high priest. And they don't have kids. And they desire kids, both personally and culturally. This is a big deal. This is a source of great pain 
And we see this unpacked for them even in the story. Not all of that we'll look at this morning, but even in Elizabeth's response, we see the, the weight and the pain of being childless and how difficult that has been for them. But the story continues in verse 8. Now, while he was serving as high priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. So the way this works, Zechariah is a priest. And the way this works is two weeks out of the year, he's going to serve at the temple. So the rest of the time he's in his home, he probably has some other job that he does. He farms or he's a craftsman of some kind, but for a week at a time, he comes to the temple and he serves there. And during this time of service, he's chosen to go into the temple and to offer incense to the Lord. And this is like just outside of the Holy of Holies, the most holy place in the temple where the Ark of the Covenant is stored. And if you know anything about that, you know that's, there's a curtain or a veil in front of that. And outside of that is this incense that is kept burning before the Lord. Now, he's chosen by lot to go in and to um, offer this incense to the Lord. And this is like a pretty rare thing. In fact, it's, it's quite possible this is the only time that Zechariah will get to do this in his service to the Lord as a priest. So this is a big deal. This is a big honor. And verse 10, it continues, And the whole multitude of people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord. So Zechariah is in the temple now. Verse 11, There appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. So we know that when Zechariah sees the angel, he knows that it's not just some guy in the temple. First of all, people don't just wander around the temple in the holy places. That's not how it works. And secondly, by his reaction, we know that he understands this is a person of significance, and he's afraid at what's going to happen. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. I want to pause for a minute to ask you this. Here's my question. Zechariah is, is old, and later he will, he will say that himself. How often do you think in his lifetime he has prayed for a child? And do you think he's still praying for a child? I don't know. This is conjecture on my part. I just don't think he's still praying this prayer. They're, they're old, they're beyond the ability to bear children. And yet the angel shows up and says, your prayer has been answered. I'm thinking, Zachariah's going to be thinking, what prayer? Oh, the child prayer. Wait, that was a long time ago. <laughs> I've been praying that for a long time. I gave up on that prayer a long time ago. And I'm just amazed in this story at how God works. And sometimes I find myself praying a prayer and I give up on that prayer because I think, well, obviously God is not going to answer this in the way that I hoped or in the timing that I hoped. And it's just God's timing is not our timing. And sometimes God wants to do something significant and he wants to do it in a significant way for a specific reason. And he's just saying, hey, I'm God and I'll do it when I'll do it. I just think that's so interesting that he says your prayer's been answered. And I think Zachariah's got to be like, man, that was, <laughs> that was a long time ago. But okay, cool. You're going to have a son, you shall call his name John, verse 14, and you will have joy and gladness, 
and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. So God sends his angel to Zechariah to tell him this great news. Hey, you're going to be a dad. Isn't that cool? You're going to have a son, and his name's going to be John. It's going to be John because we're telling you his name's going to be John. And he's going to need to do some, he's going to need to follow some specific rules. He can't have beer. He can't have wine. This is probably like a Nazarite vow like we would have seen um, Samson take. Don't cut your hair. Don't drink wine. Don't touch unclean animals. All of those sorts of things to, to display that your life is set apart for a specific purpose. And John's life is to be set apart for a specific purpose. But he's saying not only is he going to have to do some specific things, like follow some specific rules, but he's going to do some significant things. And by significant, I mean most importantly that he is going to prepare the way for the Lord's Messiah. He is going to prepare the way for the Son of God. That is a big deal. In verse 18... Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. Now, I like this. Even in his moment of total shock at what's going on, in fear of the angel, he's just been told he's going to have a son. He's just been told his son is going to be the forerunner for the Messiah, for the Savior. And he says, How will I know this is going to happen? Because I am super old, and my wife is advanced in years. See how he protects his wife? He doesn't call her old. <laughs> he tries to soften it a little bit for her, right? He's a good husband. He asks for a sign, which we see all the time in Scripture, and I just I feel a little bit bad for Zechariah because I think of Gideon who asked for a sign over and over and over again, and the Lord is patient with him. But in this case, Zechariah asks for a sign, and the angel says, well, I'll give you one. Um, I'll give you one, the angel said in verse 19. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. <clears throat> it continues. He says, I'll give you a sign. The sign is you're not going to be able to talk because I am an angel of God sent to tell you great news and you, you don't believe me. What more evidence would you like than an angel appearing to you in the temple and telling you that this is going to happen? So you're not going to be able to talk and that's going to be the sign until these things happen, which by the way, they're going to happen because God has set them in motion. There's um, some evidence to say that not only can Zechariah not speak, but he also can't hear. And we'll look at that later. That actually shows up later in the story. But at the very least, we know he's unable to speak at all. And so look at what, what happens, verse 21. And the people are waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. How long does it take to burn incense? And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized he had seen a vision in the temple, and he kept making signs to them, and he remained mute. 
So Gabriel gives him the sign, and then meanwhile, everybody outside of the temple is waiting, saying, how long is this guy going to be in there? And then when Zechariah comes out and he can't speak, and he's gesturing and trying to tell them what happened, they realize, wow, something significant has happened to Zechariah. Something is going on here. In verse 23, this is the end of the first part of their story. Verse 23, and when his time of service was ended, he went home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. So he goes home, and Elizabeth gets pregnant. So it turns out Gabriel was right. Advanced in years, old, your prayer has been answered, you're going to have a baby. Now, if you would skip ahead with me, we're going to fast forward the story a little bit, approximately nine months. In verse 57 of Luke chapter 1, it says this, Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. Gabriel's two for two, by the way. So you're going to have a baby? They got pregnant. It's going to be a boy? They had a boy. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, no, he shall be called John. Obviously, Zechariah and Elizabeth have had a conversation over the last nine months, despite the fact that he can't talk. She knows what's going on. He knows what's going on. Not everybody else is clued into the story here. He will be called John in verse 61. And they said to her, none of your relatives is called by this name. They would have expected him to be named for his father or for a grandfather. And they made signs to his father inquiring what he wanted him to be called. Now here's some of the evidence that comes forward that would say that, that Zechariah also can't hear anything. Because if he can just not talk and he can hear, it would be weird for them to try to bring him into the conversation at this point by signing to him. If they're talking about his name's going to be John, and then they're like, well, what do you want him to be called? He's like, I can hear. Yeah, his name is John. But they, they turn the conversation to him, and now they're signing to him, what do you want the boy to be called? And verse 63, he asked for a writing tablet, and he wrote, his name is John. And they all wondered. This is, a, this is weird for them. They don't understand what's going on. And both Elizabeth and Zechariah are in on this on what God is doing. And they've named their son John out of, out of obedience to the Lord. In verse 64, and immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he spoke, blessing God. Now the blessing is what we're going to look at this morning. But the sign given to Zechariah on his unbelief is that the angel says, you're not going to be able to talk until these things happen. And then as Zechariah follows in obedience, they have a son, he names him John, the sign is gone. He can now speak. And what he speaks is blessing to God because he understands what's going on. Zechariah is a faithful, devoted follower of God. And for him, the arrival of the Savior has become personal. The arrival, the coming of the Savior is now a personal thing for him. There's a not only is it happening in his own life, there's this personal kind of story of redemption taking place in Zechariah's life. Not because he was this wayward soul, not because he was lost in sin, he was a devoted follower of Christ. But even somebody who's devoted and obedient to the Lord can wildly underestimate God. Even somebody like Zechariah who has devoted his life to the Lord, 
who has devoted his life to the Lord so much so that God would choose him as the father of John the Baptist. That's the John, by the way, who is his son. Even someone as devoted as Zechariah can wildly and grossly underestimate God. Zechariah is a great guy. And all of a sudden, God is doing something and demonstrating something in his life and doing a work in his heart to show himself, to reveal himself in a completely new way to Zechariah. And that has implications for even the most devoted follower of God. We have a tendency to underestimate the God that we serve. And God says, I can do whatever I want. Yes, you're advanced in years. I can give you a baby if I want to. I'm God. Zacharias spent the last nine to ten months unable to speak, possibly unable to hear anything, and now he has a few things to celebrate. One, he's restored. He can speak. Life goes back to somewhat normal for him in terms of his physical health. He has a son. That's pretty cool. An answer to a lifetime prayer, he has a son. And by the way, that son happens to imply that the Savior of the world is coming, and Zechariah would understand that from what Gabriel told him. This is the beginning of the plan that God is putting into place. So for Zechariah, God's arrival, the arrival of the Savior, is personal. It's personal not only because it's happening in front of him, it's personal because it's happening to him. That God is doing a work in changing his heart, even as a devoted follower of God, to change his view of God and show himself in a new way. The second thing, if that's the first, that God's arrival is personal for Zechariah, the second thing is that God's arrival is purposeful. It has meaning for him. So Zechariah has a son. God's promised him that this would come true, and now he blesses God as his response to this. So look now with me at Luke chapter 1, verse 67. And his father, John's father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. This is going to be a recurring theme for Luke. As an author, we see it throughout the Gospel of Luke. We see it into the book of Acts. This idea that God has visited to redeem. God has come to redeem, to deliver, to rescue his people. And Luke is going to hit that over and over again. But we see that even in Zechariah's praise of God. He has come for a purpose. He says, He has come and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear. So he looks back at the history of his people and the context of what's going on, and he says this is the culmination of a promise that was given to Abraham and God has been faithful to his promise. As God was faithful to deliver him a son as he said he would, God is faithful to deliver a savior as he said he would. 
that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear, verse 75, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. He's talking to John now. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, now he's talking about Jesus, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet in the way of peace. Now, if you haven't read this recently, and I've read this a lot, this is not the way we talk to each other. It's confusing to read. There's a lot of kind of stuff in here that's a little hard to understand. So what I'd like to do is just take a couple pieces and break this down so we can understand what Zechariah's response to God really is. First, we've said that this has become a very personal thing for him, God's arrival. Second, that he, he understands that this is purposeful, that God has visited to redeem his people. If we look at his prayer, there's this clear theme of God's saving work. So just look at these verses with me. Look at verse 68. He has redeemed his people. We would say he's rescued or delivered. That's the definition of redeemed. Then the next verse, 69, he's raised up a horn of salvation for us. There's some language we use every day, right? Hey, I raised up a horn of salvation for you. Thank you? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what that means. The horn is a symbol of strength, a picture of strength. So when he says he's raised up a horn of salvation, a, a simpler way for us to understand that or for us to translate that would be that God has sent us a mighty Savior. The horn is strength or might. So he sent us a, a horn of salvation as God has sent a mighty Savior. So he's redeemed us. He sent a mighty Savior. Then he continues, verse 71, that we should be saved. So you see the theme here? Redeemed. Salvation. He sent us a mighty Savior that we would be saved from our enemies. Verse 74, being delivered from the hand of our enemies. There's a clear theme of salvation. Zechariah understands what God is doing. God is unleashing his plan to rescue his people. And John is the precursor to that happening. Even as he describes the role for his son in God's rescue plan, verse 77, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins. The theme continues. And even as he talks about the coming Savior, who we know to be Jesus, verse 79, that that Savior will give light to those who are in darkness. To save them from darkness, to rescue them from death is the picture there. Zechariah understands what God is setting in motion. So it's clear from his praise what John is going to do. John is going to be the forerunner to prepare the people for Jesus. We see that clearly in verses 76 and 77 when he prays almost this prayer of blessing over his baby son. He says, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his way. It's clear what John is going to do. And then at the end of his prayer of blessing, it's clear what Jesus is going to do. Because when he talks about the Savior in verses 78 and 79, look at the language that he uses there. Because of the tender mercy of our God, because of the love of God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, so in this prayer or this hymn of blessing, Jesus is pictured as the sunrise. 
Jesus is the light that is about to break into the world and expose the darkness. That's the picture that Zechariah is painting here, that Jesus is the breaking in of the light of God, the glory of God into a world that is lost and needs him. And he says that it shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. That Jesus comes to rescue people out of darkness and into light. That's the purpose of his coming. So it's clear what John's going to do. It's clear what Jesus is going to do. What does everybody else do? What is everyone else's response? Zechariah says in verse 74 and 75, as he's looked back at the history of his people and the culmination of the promise of God that's coming in the Savior, He says that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Zechariah says, hey, we've been rescued. We have been saved. That is the pervasive language of his praise to God. We are golden. We don't have anything to worry about. Our Savior has come. And do you know what that means for us? That means that we can serve God without fear. I love this coming from Zechariah, and I love this coming from Zechariah because he's older. Because when he hears of the Savior, he doesn't think, oh great, now I can wait to die and be with God. In whatever time he has left, his response is, my Savior is coming, I can serve him without fear. My life is dedicated to the glory of God until I press on. I love that response. When we look at these responses of people to the Savior breaking into the world in the the story of Christmas, what is Zachariah's response? His initial response is, "I I can't believe that. I cannot believe that. His initial response is doubt. A devoted follower of God, his initial response is doubt. And I just, I can't blame him. I don't know that we can. So God gave him some time to think about it. Nine to ten months or so to think about it to not process it verbally with anyone. (laughs) But for Zechariah, God's arrival was personal. Zechariah realized that God's rescue plan was unfolding right in front of him and that God was asking him to play a role in it. And he got excited about that and he praises God for that. It's also personal for him because God is doing a work in his heart. And God is revealing himself in a new way to a devoted follower that says, Zachariah, I know you love me, but you don't get me. And let me just show you what I'm like. And so it's personal for him. And for Zachariah, God's arrival is purposeful. He clearly understands what God is initiating. He clearly understands what John's role is. He clearly understands what that means. That means my Savior is coming. That means that Jesus is imminent. That's what Christmas is. And so how should we respond? I mean, what is our response to the fact that the Savior has come into the world and that that's what we celebrate this time of year? Do we realize what we're celebrating at Christmas? Are we celebrating what Zechariah realized all those years ago, that God was breaking into the world to restore people to himself? That the light was breaking into the darkness and that God's rescue plan was underway. It was happening. That's why Christmas is a big deal. 
That's why you hear people say things like, Jesus is the reason for the season. I mean, it's like we don't repeat it a lot because it sounds kind of corny. But the truth is, we can enjoy all the festivities and all the family gatherings and all the food and all the presents and all of those things around Christmas. We can enjoy all that stuff. But if we fail to recognize that the reason that God sent his son into the world was for the express purpose of redeeming his people to himself, then we've totally missed it. We fail to realize that Jesus is the light of the world breaking into darkness, then we've missed it. So I would say for Christmas, find some ways to remind yourself of what Christmas is really about. Some of you already have those traditions. Here's an easy one. Everyone can do this. When you see Christmas lights, just think, yeah, light in darkness. I remember that's why Jesus came. Jesus is the light breaking into the darkness. So go look at Christmas lights and enjoy that and have a great time and drink hot chocolate and all of that kind of stuff. That's fun to do because it's fun to do and it should be a celebration. But let it be a reminder to you that our Savior has come into the world to bring light to the darkness and to reconcile people to himself. Zachariah's prayer says, by the grace of God, he's doing this, that the sunrise would come, would visit us from on high. John 3.16 says the same thing. Motivated by love, God sent his son into the world. It's the same expression that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. That's the gift of Christmas. God's son, his son, the gift motivated by love, and God says, I'll give you my son. My son is the mighty savior. My son is the horn of salvation from the line of David. My son is the mighty savior breaking into the world to save, and he will live the life that you can't live, and he will die the death that you're supposed to die, and I will raise him to life, and I will demonstrate my power over sin and over death, and then I will invite you to share in that life with me. I will invite you into that and say, join me, be a part of my family. I want to adopt you as my son or as my daughter. I want you to be my child, and I want you to find life. Can you believe that? Can you believe that God would do that? And do you understand that that's what we celebrate at Christmas? That's the question. So this Christmas season, I would just invite you to celebrate that, if that's true for you. That this should be a time of incredible joy for the followers of Christ, because Christmas is God saying, I love you enough to do that, to send my son for that reason. And it's personal because he cares deeply for you and he wants to reveal himself to you in a way that you understand what kind of a God he is and how deeply he loves you. And it's purposeful because he came for the purpose of restoring people to himself to say, I want you to be in my family. I want you to be a part of my family. I want to adopt you in. Some of you here this morning, maybe for you it's not personal. Um, because you maybe know about Jesus, but you don't really have a relationship with him, and you're not even sure what that means. Can I just say this? God loves you. He is pursuing you. God, the creator, Zachariah says, from on high, is stepping in, is breaking into the world. God with us. That's the whole theme of our Christmas series. He gave his son for you, 
for you. Jesus entering the world at Christmas is the initiation of his plan to rescue you, and God is relentlessly pursuing you for a relationship with him. And so I would just invite you to accept that gift. It's the gift of Christmas. So if you're here this morning and you don't know him as your Savior, I would just say, would you talk to us about that? Would you let us know? You all have a connection card, and Joe taught you all how to tear it off. I would just invite you to take that out now. Christmas can be a great time. It can be a time of celebration. It can be a really painful time, a really hard time. You have a place on there to write prayer requests and just share your heart with us. We'd love to pray with you about that. There's a place on there where you can share a God story. Here's what God is doing in my life. Here's how God has revealed himself to me, maybe in a new way that you would like to share with us. We would love to hear that. But also on that card, you can say, I want to become a follower of Jesus. And I would just say, that's the most important decision you will ever make is whether you check that box or not. That's the gift offered. And it's what we celebrate at Christmas. That the king, that the creator has entered in and has shed his own blood for the purpose of restoring you to relationship with him. And he stands with open arms to welcome you into his family. Can you believe that? Will you believe that when we celebrate that this Christmas season? I'm going to invite the men to come forward and we're going to take our offering at this time. Let me just explain really briefly what that is and what that isn't. Our offering is an opportunity for those that are part of this family who love the Lord to give back as an act of worship to Him for the continuation of His ministry. If you're visiting or you're new here, we have no expectation that you would give to us, but we would love to get those connection cards from you. Let me pray for our offering, and then we have an opportunity to respond and celebrate together in worship. Father God, we thank you for breaking in. We thank you for being the kind of God who loves us so desperately that you would sacrifice your own son on our behalf. And so we echo the praise of Zechariah this morning. You're a great God who follows through on his promises. You cared personally about us, and, and the coming of Jesus had a great purpose to redeem us. So we thank you and we praise you. In your name, amen.